Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nahum Siegel Network, NahumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And it is Purim 2021. And though it is not the English full 12 month, uh, kind of one year since the beginning of the pandemic, um, I mean, the pandemic actually, I guess, started. We don't really know where to date it, right? It's a January, February, uh, maybe even December. Um, but really, when things started to affect us and started to lock down and started to get real, and I mean really real, was really perm of last year. So, you know, today, Tana Sester, everyone should have a busy fast, have a perm sameach, Simchas Purim, have a joyous Purim. We need to be mindful of the fact that the United States has passed 500,000 deaths from this pandemic in one year. Um, it's just an astounding, shocking number. It, it's incomprehensible. I mean, with the same way, Lahabdil, because, you know, of the circumstances, of course, but we can't even imagine the sheer awesomeness of the numbers of Jews killed in the Holocaust. It's hard to comprehend the number of people who have been killed by this pandemic. I mean, it's like if you looked at multiple sports stadiums filled, and I mean, not the small ones, but the big ones, like the Rose Bowl, or some of those Big Ten schools, their football stadiums. Everyone gone. Everyone. And then some. And then again. And then again. And then again. And again. So I think we all need to take stock of where we've been over the past year, how it's affected us, how it's affected the world. It's affected it certainly politically in many, many ways. And I think it's served to polarizing course in our politics here in the U.S., not as in position to talk about everywhere else, but the U.S. has certainly seen its share of political tumultuousness. And I just think it's time to take a quick, quick minute to kind of take stock of where this really got started And to, I guess, talk about politics a little bit from that perspective uh, and what I see going on as we move into the next year, not a presidential year, not as exciting, but still, nonetheless, there's a lot going on. There's always a lot going on, as we have talk about every single week. So no guests this week, just going to kind of give it some thoughts and the way things have, things have happened. Um, the way things have transpired over the last year. And we look forward to some of the absurdities that are going on. And there's a lot of absurdity going on. Uh, we should also think about how our community, I mean the Orthodox Jewish community, is now perceived and looked at vis-a-vis -vis coronavirus and other items, but Corona has had a huge impact on the public perception. I mean, just not just the public perception of other people, 
but governmental perception of the community and how I think government has not been terribly kind to our community, particularly here in New York, but we've seen it in Israel as well. But we've also, as a community, bristled, resisted, and not quite fully complied with many of the strictures and restrictions that have come about internally, externally. Some of it justified, some of it unjustified. And we need to think about that as a community as to how that transpires. But I do think we need to take the moment to think about 500,000 people lost and many within our own community. It's hard to know that there are people who are, it's hard to know, not know someone who has suffered loss personally of a family member, relative, friend, chavrusa, someone in your shul who has lost their life to the pandemic, including so many gedolim that we've including buried in the last couple of weeks. And the irony of it, of course, is that the perception of the public, and I understand the need to go to Levias and to honor great Tamidi Chachami Rashi Yeshivas, Torah luminaries. But it, it, the irony is not lost on the general public for the from community to be massing in the tens of thousands, if not more, at a Levaya for someone who they themselves died tragically of coronavirus or COVID. And then to turn around and perhaps make that a super spreader event. But, you know, as we daven and Purim and we know, and not to make this into a one person Dvar Torah here, or the show into that. Uh, but I think it's important to know that we believe very strongly that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us a refuah with every Bagefa. And that the vaccine is, vaccination is going along, probably not quite as, probably not quite as fast as we would like, quite not as efficiently as we might like, but it's coming, it's here. I want to devote a future show to that, and we will, uh, because I think there's a lot of hesitancy in the community about the vaccine, about taking the vaccine, and... I think that the time has come for us to step up as a community who believes in science, who believes in doctors. We believe in hospitals. There is no person that I know in the firm community who doesn't try and get the best doctors and the best medical care for them, for their loved ones out there. Because uh, 
and we don't believe that we believe that Hashem obviously is the healer and Yoshem Rafecha. But we believe as well that medicine and science are part of the Shlichos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he gives to us to enable to heal us. No different than Purim where Kaddish Baruch Hu gave our salvation in the hands of Esther who was able to overturn terrible decree against us for the annihilation of the Jewish people. So it's painful. It's painful. It's outright painful when a major TV network, NBC, I, I, and I'm just at a loss um, to even think about this, but a major TV network like NBC airs a show called Nurses. I don't even know if it aired. I think it aired in Canada and they picked it up and it's online, but it's just, it's outright bizarre. Uh the portrayal, and in this episode, there's a Hasidic Shabbacher who has a leg injury. I don't even know the whole story. The leg injury and needs a bone graft. Needs to put a graft from Cadaver and his uh, rabbi, Rosh Hashiva, father. It's unclear again. But this is the quick narrative of it. And this was highlighted very well in the... Uh, my colleague, Allison Josephs from Jew in the City, who it's this show after this, and definitely should listen to it. She wrote a great essay about this, taking this apart. But I think politically, it also shows where we are at um, in the perception of the Jewish community because it ties to something else that NBC did. Anyway, the short of it, he needs a bone graft and he doesn't want to get one because the rabbi says, oh, you might have a bone from an Arab or a woman or an Arab woman. I mean, it's... And they're making fun of him, and he's not going to be able to play the Maccabee games. I mean, who writes this stuff? First of all, the idea that... And, and, and of course, the Bachar refuses to do it because Hashem is the one who you know, heals, and I don't need the bone graft, I don't need to listen to you. Meaning to the doctor. And then, of course, he says that... The rabbi might not want him to, uh, he should just stay with the leg injury. He should be permanently disabled or maimed because, because it's, he shouldn't have to, he shouldn't have the taiva. He shouldn't have the urge to play basketball. So if he's injured, he would, he should stay, he should stay injured. I might not be getting this narrative entirely correct. Anyway, NBC has since pulled the show. But the idea, of course, that the from people are anti-science, we're anti-medicine. We don't believe in cures in modern medicine and getting people the help that they need. I mean, where did this come from? And we should take a look inward, even though this is offensive, even though this is incredibly offensive, beyond offensive, that they would say something like this. Because it's so patently false, so patently untrue. Anybody who's been to a hospital, anybody who knows anything about the firm community would know that there's no halachic prohibition whatsoever 
to getting a bone graft. In fact, if you look at the kidney donors and renewal and these amazing voluntary kidney donors, the, the firm community is far, far and away. I think it's like 15% of the volunteer kidney donors out there. I mean, the rest of the population is like a 3% gives. They've, Orthodox Jewish community is at 15%. People donating and believing in science and believing in help and health and good health. How many Jewish organizations and firm organizations are there that believe in good health and that try and promote health in the community? You don't need to look that far. And to portray us as not just backward, but absurdly primitive, backward people I have to say, perhaps this comes, and perhaps this comes from this, you know, idea that the firm community just is not willing to listen to science when it comes to something like a pandemic like this. Not willing to wear masks, not willing to not gather, not willing to follow restrictions, even if they strike us as absurd. But it's not just that. I mean, there's more than that going on right now. Okay, we have the big lie from Saturday Night Live. And of course, that's a comedy show, so that's a little bit different. Also on the same network, NBC. And we should all be introspective about the way things look and the way things are perceived in the public. But M- but NBC, a weekend update, Michael Che, a comedian, says that Israel has vaccinated 50%, up 50% of the population. And of course, that's, not, that's worldwide news because Israel is so far and ahead of the whole world in vaccinating the population. It's something that should be emulated. And of course, he says, I know which half that is. That's the Jewish half. Which, of course, another big lie. Another big lie, an anti-Semitic lie, of course, that the Jews are responsible for promoting themselves at the expense of others, which, of course, is incredibly not true because the Israeli Arabs in Israel have been vaccinated and there's been extensive education around that. But of course, they're perpetuating this big lie in order, well, I don't know what you know what purposes it serves. It's just to show that the Jewish community overall is left in a terrible light. And we have to ask ourselves once again is why do they perceive us this way? Now, per- partly this is just rank anti-Semitism, classic anti-Semitism when you think about it to put the Jews in a different bucket to make them seem entirely different and their beliefs are entirely different and they don't care about anything going on in the rest of the world which couldn't be further from the truth particularly when it comes to health and medicine look at the participation of Jewish people in the highest rungs of medicine and science and particularly vaccine production producing it for the entire world and Israel sharing their doses with the entire world with other countries and you know we know factually that Palestinian Authority where I guess the kernel of truth here that they refused to take the vaccine from Israel, but they wanted to take their own supply, I think, of Russian or Chinese vaccine, probably Russian. 
And they didn't want to take it for this role because for whatever their own purposes. So that leads us to a political comment made by Susan Lerner of Common Cause. This is now Common Cause, you have to understand, is it's a it's a goo-goo organization. Good government. Susan Lerner, a reformer, one of those people who kind of a watchdog of politics, kind of an authoritative voice in New York. And Susan Lerner's comments, downright reprehensible, and she's unapologetic about them. And we're talking about ranked choice voting. So ranked choice voting is this new system that we don't just allow a candidate to win with you know, 20, 30% of the vote. They have to get a majority. And how do they get to that? Well, you have people rank their choices. So the bottom people who don't get enough votes, they fall out. And eventually you have a pool of two. If nobody gets the 50%, nobody gets the majority, you have a pool of two, and then you have that's a head-to-head and they get over 50%. And that f- the theory is that causes candidates to form coalitions with others so they can rank their choices. And Susan Lerner in a comment to The Gothamist, which is a New York City-focused publication, says, quite authoritatively, that the candidates can no longer, or could, I'm paraphrasing, uh, could no longer cater to the extreme Orthodox bloc, to the extremists in the Orthodox community, because they're forced to consider the opinions, again, paraphrasing, of others in New York City. And they don't have to go to the extremes to pander to the Orthodox community. Now, I don't know that we, meaning the Orthodox community, are the only group in New York City with interests or needs from government. I I just, I don't know. But clearly, Susan Lerner seems to feel that singling out the Orthodox community of New York City and the Orthodox voters of New York City for specific treatment and to call them extremists is acceptable. And this is coming from a person who's supposed to embody good government. This is coming from a person who's supposed to embody civic engagement. Again, we have been othered. We've been excluded. We have been looked at as different. Yes, we're different. There's lots of difference. I mean, I thought we, I thought as a progressive society here in New York City, we celebrate differences. We're multicultural, but somehow the differences of the Orthodox community are not quite as acceptable as other people's differences, according to Susan Lerner, a Jewish person. And she, of course, was totally unapologetic. In fact, she was, but she was condemned by even other, um, I mean, Councilman Mark Traeger, Councilman Joe Borelli, Assemblyman Robert Carroll, and others. 
And of course, she tweeted back at them and said, happy to clarify, it is an extreme position to offer to flout the New York State substantial equivalency law to the benefit of voters who made a litmus test issue. And she ends, will insist on the Meshuggah position that politicians so uphold the law. Now, there is no proof whatsoever other than a organization dedicated to hurting the Jew, the from community called the Afed, which of course has been allowed to metastasize and fester within the political realm to portray our community as, as backward. Um, not just some yeshivas. When, uh, when Yafed lodged its complaints to New York State, it was about yeshiva education in general. And that's why the state went wanted to rewrite the laws and the legislation for all yeshivas, not just the 15 or something that they picked out. And of course, Sibhai Hildstein, my friend, pointed out that she, she said, you called our entire community an extremist block, had a chance to apologize. Instead, you doubled down on your hate. She said, essentially, that something that had been said actually in the floor of the New York State Legislature a couple years ago by a assemb- former assemblywoman named Ellen Jaffe, who basically said that in up in Rockland County, when it came to school board elections, since the school, since the Orthodox community doesn't send its kids to public schools, perhaps they shouldn't be allowed to vote. Again, we've been othered, been cast aside. No different politically than what happened in the Perm story, in a sense. We've been singled out for special treatments, pretty awful treatments. I don't want to make the ultimate outcome the same. But here you have somebody, a respectable Jewish person who is willing to say things about the Orthodox community and say things about the firm community that they would never venture to say about any other minority group. And if you think that this is something that's just going on on the left or concern on the left, or just going on on the right. Don't think that. There is a coarseness and othering in our politics. I'm not just saying. I mean, let's not kid ourselves about Yes, these are that many of these statements are progressive ideas. But don't dismiss the anti-Semitism of QAnon or of a Marjorie Taylor Greene with the Jewish lasers. Those are real conspiracies. Those are real people who think real things about the Jewish community and about this cabal that's running the country. And it's scary. But I watch what's going on 
and I watch what's going on. I watch, you know, the hearings in Washington about the insurrection of 1-6, and, and, you know, Ron Johnson, who otherwise upstanding senator, tries to, is trying to rewrite the history, actual history of, of what happened. I mean, he read some eyewitness accounts that basically said, well, these weren't Trump supporters. Of course, the Trump supporters who were there say that they were Trump supporters. Again, not back to impeachment, not back to President Trump. I'm saying these are the people who were there. And in fact, Marjorie Taylor Greene's allies, one Anthony Aguero, a conservative live streamer, said on video, We were all there. It was not Antifa. It was not BLM. It was Trump supporters that did it yesterday. I am the first to admit it, being one myself. I walked amongst those people. So the people who were there, they themselves said they were there on behalf of the president. And it's time to take some introspection about that. It's time to think about that and what the ramifications are. And of course, the censure politics, this cancel culture, it's on left and right. The right now canceling itself. Congressman being censured. Being censured. Fred Upton, a congressman, a uh, longtime congressman from Michigan, being censured by one of his Republican local committees. Remember I talked about last week as we closed, the guy from Western Pennsylvania who said we didn't send... Senator Pat Toomey there to do the right thing. Well, here we have another Fred Upton uh, voted to take Marjorie Taylor Greene off her committees. And he's been censured by one of their local Republican committees. And this is, I think I really feel like I need to say this here. They, they said in their statement, we believe Congressman Upton's vote is a betrayal of his oath of office and core values of the Cass County Republican Party. And Upton replied, really? She taunted a Parkland school shooting survivor, argued that California wildfires were started by a Jewish space laser, accused Democratic politicians of running a pedophile ring out of a pizza parlor, and questioned whether 9-11 really happened. Does the Cass GOP really think that someone like that represents Republican values and should be serving on the education committee. And you got to ask yourself, where are our politics going? Because if you can't call out somebody else, we should be able, we, we want the Democrats to call out Ilhan Omar. We want them to call out Rashida Tlaib when they say things that are crazy and offensive. And the things that some people in the GOP have said are crazy and offensive and they should also be called out by good upstanding Americans like Fred Upton and we do elect people to go to Washington to do the right thing and to have a conscience and to vote their conscience and I think it's appropriate when people disagree and we had it yesterday when they were talking about CPAC about President Trump making his first pick uh, speech this weekend at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which has now been moved to Florida. This weekend, President Trump is going, and they asked at press conference a good exchange of ideas. They asked Leader 
minority leader Kevin McCarthy, should he go? And he, McCarthy said yes. And then they asked Liz, uh, they asked Liz Cheney. And they said, should she go? And she said, I don't think President Trump should have a place in the Republican Party going forward. Good disagreement, exchange of ideas. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. We should be able to disagree without being disagreeable. That's my current message for here. And, well, that's really it. I think that that's the note that we need to take as we move forward. And we will see you next week here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.